anything's possible though, because you know Bitcoin is money. So you know, money talk, man. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, powered by Coin Telegraph. What began as a small experiment is now a rapidly expanding ecosystem. As citizens of the internet, we expect to be able to send money over the internet as quickly and cheaply as sending an email. As citizens of the internet, we demand transparency. Here, we talk about Bitcoin, Ethereum, blockchain industries, fintech, and more. But we're not experts. We're just three guys in the Bitcoin community. And adoption is the only thing that matters. Hey everybody, welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, episode number 76. I'm your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number two, D. Where's DP at? DP is enjoying time with his fam in Brazil. It's his last weekend. Out in, well, not his last weekend. One of his last weekends out in Brazil. 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 Before China. He comes out. He's doing the Trump. He yeah. China. Every time someone says a country, all I think about is China now. China. Anyways, Brazil. And then he's coming back to the States, hopefully Texas, so he can be near near us. We can build a headquarters like the G.I. Joe headquarters. If he moves to Texas, though, what's going to happen is we're going to get excited because we're all going to be together, but <clears throat> we're probably not going to have any time to see each other. <laughs> we got to make time, man. I saw it in a movie once. It was one of those romantic movies. You got to make time for the ones that are important. Yeah, but that doesn't. That's for wives and girlfriends. And besties. (laughs) I don't know. Anyways, we got to do the stuff to pay the bills. All right. Uh, We're brought to you by uh, Best Man's Wedding, starring Ty Diggs, the new Tyler Perry movie. No, just joking. We're brought to you by uh, escrowmybits.com. It's fast, it's super easy, and it only takes three steps. All you got to do is register and deposit your Bitcoin, and then the seller will ship whatever item you two have agreed to send each other. Buyer checks the goods. Boom, funds are released. That's how you use it. That's escrow. And they also offer Bitcoin escrow with a locked exchange rate, so no matter where you are in the world, it got you covered. They charge you a small flat escrow fee of just 1%, unlike Coinbase. What? Uh, and they even offer you the ability to split the fee with the other party. Escrow My Bits was created to solve all the problems wrong with the type of escrow services currently around, and their goal is to make using escrow as simple as possible. So go to their website, uh, sign up for that newsletter, that tasty, juicy newsletter, stay up to date, so you can escrow your shit with escrowmybits.com. Coinbase, I hope you heard that burn. Dumbasses. <laughs> well, I guess we'll talk about it as soon as I let you know about the most trusted name in Bitcoin ATMs. Uh, we're also brought to you by Athena Bitcoin, and they're located in Houston, Fort Worth, Dallas, but you know they're also available in seven other cities, so it's not just Texas, even though we're excited about that. Uh, and then also you can download the Athena Bitcoin wallet on the App Store or Google Play, and for specific locations, uh, just visit that website. 
uh, AthenaBitcoin.com, and they're always adding new locations. So make sure you visit that frequently. Uh, we're also brought to you by Athena Bitcoin's portfolio company, Bitquick.co. Uh, you can check out the image, the, the image bucket on the sidebar in our homepage. Uh, that'll take you where you need to go. It's a secure, quick, and easy peer-to-peer Bitcoin marketplace, and you get Bitcoin for cash in as little as three hours. Uh, Bitquick has been serving Bitcoiners since 2013, and where there's a bank, there's Bitquick. All right. I'm starting the, the jingle process on that one this week. Nice. Nice. Keep it freestyle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, let's talk about Coinbase a little bit. Um, Why, man? It angered me with this move. I, I tout Coinbase so much. It's one of the first companies that I always introduce new people to because it's, you know, very familiar to the processes that they already use. When it comes to how they online bank today, and then they had to go on and up their fees on debit cards and credit cards almost four times. Uh, quadruple. God, son of a bitch. Well, maybe they weren't profitable at charging only one percent. I mean, of course they weren't, <laughs> but still, like you got to stand for something. I think Coinbase they kept their fees the same when it comes to bank transfers. But bank transfers are really slow, and a lot of the Bitcoin community isn't willing to give up all their personal information to get fast bank transfers. But, you know, I wouldn't hate the player. I'd hate the game, even though in this case it's really hard to hate hate the game. But Coinbase is trying to do things legitimate and trying to do things legitimately in the States, and they're just trying to comply and I guess when you're trying to comply, you gotta do what you gotta do. But it sucks as a consumer because I think buying with a debit card was good for people. Well, good because they had easy, quick access to Bitcoin if they needed it. But now I think if they don't want the easy, quick access, they've got to put their banking information in there. And maybe send them a picture of their driver's license, promise their firstborn, give them 50% of their first house. Just getting too much, Coinbase. Spoken like a true Circle user. (laughs) I like Circle. I like, man, judging from what I've seen, how Bitcoin worked when it first began to where it is now, I don't give a damn. Like, as long as I can access my funds and... I know I'm not the typical Bitcoin user. People are probably like, oh, this guy's, this guy's pro gov, pro everything. It's just, hey, man, I just want to use my money and know where it is. That's all. But, well, you don't, you don't care about a fee-less Bitcoin? Like, well, you know what? I think yeah, that, uh, I mean, I think the only way to get a fee-less Bitcoin, I think that evaporated once the ASICs became mainstream, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, a feeless Bitcoin, that's not supposed to be the goal anyways. The longer the Bitcoin is around and the more people that use it, the more fees that there are. I mean, it's just going to be natural. And then and plus in the really long term, talking about all we're after all when we're all dead and gone, the fees are what subsidize the miners when there's no more reward for finding a block. So if everybody was supposed to think that the fees are supposed to say zero, 
you're wrong, but they're not supposed to go up as quickly as they currently are because of the block size issues and because of some scaling issues. Um, but nevertheless, you could, if you were expecting zero fees, but we're talking about 14 cents for a transaction. So, yeah, what the problem is it's going to get worse. High, so that's on a high level. It'll only get worse if we stay if the the network stays exactly in the state, the current state that it's in right now. But you know, there's the upgrades coming down the pipeline. So you know, fees will drop. I think fees is going to be cyclical, like most things are. Right now, they're a little bit high here in 2016, but 2018 rolls around, the network gets a little more robust. Uh, more updates, segregated witnesses in full steam. Um, you know the fees come back down. So, well, let's let's try it from a, a math perspective. Let's say you have a business that receives, uh, I don't know, ten thousand dollars a month in income at yeah. percent gross margin, and then they get fifty percent, fifty percent gross, so fifty percent okay. profit. And then they get one percent of sales in Bitcoin, which means you could acquire what point one point wait point one five Bitcoin a month for fifty dollars a month. That's half the exchange rate. So the only reason for a business to take Bitcoin is if they want to accumulate Bitcoin, because the problem is going to get worse for businesses that accept Bitcoins and still need to pay both the transfer funds to the exchange as well as in exchange fees as the as the exchanges deal with the higher fees themselves. So, I mean, if I see a company now that takes Bitcoin, I'm, I'm thinking they're just holding at this point. Hmm. What does your math say? I mean, that math that you just laid out is pretty strong. <laughs> I mean, Bitcoin, it's, just, it's simply a way to save money over using PayPal and credit cards for most customers. But if you start taking that away... You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, right now it's still a fringe use case. There's just not a lot of people using Bitcoin, so it makes it difficult. I mean, it's in the top of our show, you know? Adoption is the only thing that matters. Yeah, and this is a big big part of it. Yeah. In fact, you know what? I was like, I was talking to uh, an old college buddy about Bitcoin, and I just told him to go to the Bitcoin Reddit. And then two days later, he hit me up and he was just like, I didn't see anything about Bitcoin. All I kept seeing was this thing called Ethereum. And I'm just like, oh, man, that's right, because Ethereum is the big thing right now. So how am I supposed to on-ramp him and get him excited about Bitcoin if he's just seeing all this altcoin stuff? Nah, I wouldn't call Ethereum an altcoin. Or I guess that's the definition that everyone wants to use, but uh, it's just got a totally different well, I guess it's just an altcoin. Yeah, we'll call it an altcoin. But you're right. There's there's not a lot of buzz around Bitcoin anymore, which makes it hard to adopt. No, yeah, I mean you were talking about you know mass adoption. That just got me thinking because he got he immediately was like, I don't know about this Bitcoin. It is tough to get new people into it. Um. I don't know. Mass adoption is such a, such a tricky, tricky thing to get. It's, it's, it's almost like it's you can't force it. Just gotta let it happen. But I think what spurred most of it uh, last time was the price. 
I think price going up is what spurs adoption the easiest and the quickest. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what caught our eyes. I mean, honestly, that's what caught my eye when it went yeah. from like $20 to $600 or something nasty. Like, the, no, it went from, it was like $200 and then it went up to $600 back in 2013. I was like, holy shit. That's something I got to get my hand. This is just pure FOMO. And I think those cycles of FOMO, uh, fear of missing out, are what spur it. And, so. You know, there just needs to be another FOMO. If one of these governments does something stupid and the currency goes shit, and for some whatever reason under the sun, there's enough people that trust Bitcoin and then Bitcoin goes up again, starts going through the roof, then that's going to spur a whole nother cycle of adoption. And then people are going to see more and more benefits that Bitcoin promises. And it's going to be able to stand behind the things that it promises. Um, but when the network is stagnant, you get what we get right now. So I think a lot of people are just interested in Ethereum so they can be informed and then they can jump ship at some point. You think so? I think Ethereum has some bona fide staying power the properties that it provides and the promises that it um, is advertising. Especially the promise of like having one giant global computer. Mm-hmm. That is just crazy cool. It's kind of scary, but it's crazy cool. And turns the dumb network that is the internet into a little bit smarter network. True, true. We call it then. Does it get a different name? I don't want to call it the Ethereum network. I don't. Th- any, I don't think anybody's going to walk around saying that in their daily language, other than people that are into Bitcoin. Nobody's walking around and saying, "Uh, are you on the Ethereum network?" Yeah, it just sounds kind of dumb. Ether, Ethernet. See, there's already a Ethernet. Ooh, what about a Skynet? No, that's dangerous. You know that. That's that's fulfilling the prophecies. <laughs> I'm down with that. I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready for a robot takeover. I think I'm ready. I, but I think um I think, you know, at, in the end, I think Bitcoin can learn from Ethereum in terms of its community and also the recent dealings with the DAO attack. So um, I don't think Stefan Tool is ever going to be on our show again. And probably, uh, not. <laughs> probably not. So I don't know. Do you think that if we ask him to come on the show, he's going to mumble to himself? Fuck those guys. They're going on their dumb show. Yeah, because we have, we have an upcoming interview where um, I don't want to give it away, but there's just a big steamy dump all over Stefan Tool's face was, oh, no. was took. And it'll be on our show. Ugh. So, but we, we a big old dump, huh? Yeah, big dump. You missed that one, but <laughs> oh, got in the crevices. Yeah. Pores. Um. Well, you want to sm- you want to go into the interview? Yeah, let's finesse into this. Um, you know, we recently had Joey Crook from Augur, which is a it's a prediction platform. Um, so we're going to go on the other side of the fence 
And we're going to talk to Matt Liston of the Gnosis Prediction Market Platform. Uh, they're going to discuss their upcoming crowd sale and um, the, the structure of the DAO, which is going to manage its development. Uh, D, you were right at the, at the top of the show. Prior to joining Consensus, um, he is part of Consensus. Uh, Matt founded Augur. A lot of people don't know that, but he's the, he's the one king to rule them all. And... Um, Man, he he's consulted with a Ethereum dev. Uh, he he's designed an uh, IoT blockchain solution. Um, he's a DAO whisperer, man. And um, we're talking about Skynet on a blockchain here. The dude is just super smart, super nice, and uh, he's on the show, yo. <laughs> well, I'm sorry I missed this interview. Uh, I feel like I'm going to be saying that a lot in the next few months. But yeah, uh, it was- Mackie was here though. Stephen Mackie from Yours and Purse. Yeah, we can't thank Mackie enough. He's uh, definitely become super permanent friend of the show slash person that works with the show. Hope for, hopefully, you guys listening right now get comfortable with his voice because you will hear it more. Uh, anyways, uh, here it is. Here. So for starters, why don't you uh, tell us and our audience a little bit about yourself and how you got started in all this crypto business? Sure. Well, uh, Matt Liston, I got started in uh, Bitcoin in late 2012, early uh, 2013. Uh, And my first project is something that's now called Augur. Um, I hired Jack Peterson, uh, Joey Krug, uh, Jeremy Gardner for that and uh, raised the initial angel funding kind of came up with the whole idea for that. Um, I haven't been involved with that for about a year and a half now, but um, I recently uh, joined Gnosis and also uh, Consensus to work in the prediction market there. Um, So I'm really excited about that. Uh, In between, uh, I worked for Ethereum briefly, and I also did some consulting in the uh, blockchain and IoT space. All right. Uh, Pretty good and dry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Chilla. Um, with this next question, Matt, I don't, I don't mean any malice. I just, I, I had a conversation with some from members of the Augur team, and there seems to be some confusion and or disagreement with your status as being the founder of Augur. They didn't all seem to be on the same page. Why is there a disconnect? Yeah, well, um, I was the original founder. I came up with it all, and I hired them, and um, they took some really, really dishonest steps. Um, so uh, about two months after I hired uh, Jeremy he created a a secondary corporation and started running things through that and um, they used that to cut me out of the project and cut me out of my equity Um, but none of that Augur would not exist um, if it had not been for me creating it so any statement that uh, I am not a founder is uh, bullshit because without (laughs) me there's no project and you heard it here uh, on the Bitcoin podcast. <laughs> yeah, I love you, man. All right, I'm glad you. I'm glad you said it. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no problem. I'm, I'm happy to put that to rest. Um, yeah. And then any I noticed anymore. Do you hold any hard feelings? I guess that's probably yeah. a good. Yeah, I was about to say that. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it'd be dishonest if I said no. I mean, um. My life was uh, pretty, pretty 
bad for a, a while after that, and um, that project was really uh, like a second child for me of some sort. Um, you could say it was a child DAO of sorts. Yeah, yeah, it was a, a child DAO of sorts. And, um, <laughs> you know, uh, I don't really hold much malice for Joey because um, I, I think he did his best to act in bad in good faith. Sorry. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think both Jeremy and Jack... Uh, yeah, are really um, unethical people. Ooh. Mm. And well, well, if I can compare the two, um, I would. I've noticed that Augur has spent most of their time and money and resources on crowdfunding, while you guys have been meticulous and you spent most of your time on development and making sure everything was done right. Why did you guys take that? You know that approach rather than just crowdfund, 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 raise money, raise money. Yeah, well, I mean, we really think it's best to uh, build software, build a product, and not just run on hype. Um, so I, I think that was a decision we made. I also think that we've been aware that there's a bit of a legal gray area with operating prediction markets, um, and also that there's security concerns. So we didn't want to promote um, our software too much uh, early on. However, uh, you know, Gnosis has been live on the Ethereum main network for about six months now. Um, and we're coming out with an even more mature software release. So, yeah, I mean, um, uh, I think Augur raised money on hopes and dreams. Um, and uh, I, I'm not even sure when they're going to release now. Um, and uh, on the complete opposite side of things, um, we were, uh, you know, just incubated by consensus. And we've been hard at work uh, on development for about a year and a half now. So, oh, by the way, shout out to uh, shout out to uh, Lubin from um, Consensus. Really, really nice guy. You guys are doing some really cool things over there. Yeah, we had yeah on the he's, show he's one of the. Oh, cool! He he's um he's one of the sharpest pers- uh, people I've ever met. He is uh, definitely a sharp tack. Yes. So, is there is there enough demand here to consider you and Augur competitors? Is that something that's gonna? Are you is one of you going to put the other to rest? Um. You know, there's a lot of similarities uh, between the projects, so we're operating in a very similar space. However, you know, my my theory on this is that um, for at least five years, uh, we're not really direct competitors because we both need to prove our hypothesis that there's a need for decentralized prediction markets, and we need to start shaving away uh, market share from these huge, huge competitors. So... I think for a for a couple of year period, there's there's actually going to be a much more synergistic than competitive relationship between the two projects. Um, you know, it's it's really important that we just get out there. And I think um, if either one gets out there, it's going to bring more positive than negative attention to the other project. Um, so you know, that's the relationship for now. Um, I think that there's some important technical differences. Um, you know, so I I talk about that sometimes. Um, but I, I don't I don't think we're gonna be trying to steal each other's customers anytime soon. Um, let me put it that way. Okay. That makes perfect sense. Uh, if we switch gears a little bit, we can stop talking about Augur a little bit. And I bet sure. both you and Mackie are experts on this question since y'all are like Cheech and Chong a little bit. B2B services for the budding US cannabis industry. Let's talk about that for, for a minute. Uh, oh cool. So Definitely. 
Yeah, I've been reading that there's like an idea here, which is to use a version of like the safe market GitHub.io, which is more of a, a safe free market powered by the Ethereum blockchain, mm-hmm. which is like customized for growers, dispensaries, and transporters. Uh, could yep. you tell us a little bit how that would work if that was implemented? Um, yeah, so I, I, I um, I'm not currently working on projects in the crypto cannabis space, but um, I, I think it's an excellent idea. So um, a wholesale market built on safe market would be really great. Um, I, I think there's a very inefficient market currently connecting uh, growers, wholesalers, product manufacturers, and uh, dispensaries. Um, and doing that through crypto could, um, you know, not only create uh, an efficient online market, but also, um, you know, help with the payment and banking side of things. Um, curious to hear Stephen's thoughts on this as well. I'm actually taking a look at the site now, um, you know, because I because I originally I took a look at some of the screenshots from um, from the alpha, and I never really dug too much into like what exactly is here, but it's kind of just taking a look at it. It's just like a like an escrow system, sort of similar to like you know what we do at Purse, but this looks like it you know is a step further as far as like person to person like you know contracting. So like I have I'm a smart contract. I have this, and I need an arbiter to. Be the middleman between this transaction and another. It seems it seems pretty nice. I mean, obviously, you know, as far as like resilience goes, and as far as like safety goes, doing these sorts of peer to peer trades over a uh, over a smart contract, you know, definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, and I'm, I've not used it myself, but I'm would probably would probably probably not be surprised if they already had like pre made like templates and things like that for like the mm-hmm. trading. So to, to further simplify it. Um, has it? Have any of you guys actually used it? No. Um, I, yeah, I have not, but I know they're testing it. Um, another interesting thing to bring up. Um, so, you know, there's potential for creating wholesale markets or banking solutions using cryptocurrencies and smart contracts. I think something that could be created uh, more quickly and and have a, a really good use case is crowdfunding for uh, cannabis small businesses um, using uh, Ethereum well, tokens. Um, there are. Yeah, so I, I'd uh, be really excited to see that happen soon. That would be hot. I would love some. I mean, I, you can, you, it can go as far as too is like it's not just, uh, you know, it's not just like peer to peer like marijuana or maybe anything like that that you know might not necessarily want to deal with like traditional fiat. Like that's cool, but you know, you had the whole case of like Craigslist here. Literally, like you could take the interface of Craigslist and just add in an additional interface, you know, that uses like safe market to like do smart contracting so you could essentially like transact like you know over other traditional services and just use like the back end like you know safe market api to make sure you build a contract and make sure it's legitimate and you, you could utilize a system like this anywhere it wouldn't just be you know here on the safe market site again before like craigslist um ebay um, you know there's lots of different multitudes of ways you, you can use something like this anytime you want to contract somebody to do something and then make sure that you can pay them when they get the job done and it's done in a much more safe and secure way and fast and it's, it, you can do it with this. Yeah, or like for instance like um, you know if you if you couple this with like a decentralized like, reputation system or something like that, right? You could essentially, have you guys heard of like Angie's List? Of like the thing where yeah. you find a contractor, you know, you can yeah. trust them and reputation. You know, same same sort of conduct there too. You could look at, you know, someone's history of all their past work, see all the previous examples, you know, everything is all saved, you know, cryptographically to the blockchain. Like you have proof that that person did and all those jobs, you know, in the in the method that they said that they did and got the quality that they that they stated they did. So I mean I you know it's it's one of those things like once it's out there, it's gonna take some time for people to like really, really dig into the use case. 
And I think I think safe markets. I think that's the first smart step. So I want to take it back a little. I I, I think prediction markets are pretty fascinating personally. And and can you walk us through? how someone can create a specialized prediction market as easy as like maybe creating a Facebook page or something like that. Sure. Well, um, you know what, what we mean when we say creating a specialized prediction market as easy as a Facebook page, we mean an actual, uh, new set of markets. So, you know, markets specialized in forecasting the weather, uh, or betting in a particular locality and the functionality to create, uh, you know, a complete customized market interface is not quite there yet. Um, however, it is uh, very easy to go into our new software release and uh, create uh, a new market. You know, for instance, uh, will Hillary win? So that process is a it's a, a one page process. Um, you would go into the Gnosis app, uh, and on top there's a, a new market interface, uh, and that's as simple as just writing a description, writing a title, um, setting a fees, and then also uh, choosing an oracle who is going to resolve that market. It seems incredibly simple for something that's so powerful. Yeah, definitely. And we hope to make it a lot more simple and, you know, particularly a lot a lot more simple to really create your own application on top of this. So in terms of simplicity, um, can you explain how you're going to increase, I guess, security? Because, for instance, if an attacker finds an exploit, how do we not repeat the faults that the original DAO encountered? Right. Yeah, Absolutely. So, um, you know, that really falls under two categories. One is uh, security for our DAO, and the other is security for the prediction markets. So um, for our DAO, uh, you know, which is going to be raising money, um, you know, there's a couple things. Um, one, our code is very modular and auditable. Um, there's also going to be manual processes that are involved for um, large withdrawals. So, you know, th that alone is, is really um, going to help a lot. Um, we think it's important to have uh, like incremental fund amounts in, in smart contracts, not just jump to 150 million at once. Huh. Um, and then on the prediction market side, um, you know, we've we've broken up our code, made it very modular, and uh, Stefan, uh, our co-founder, is actually going through and doing sort of a pre-security audit currently. Um, so that's going to help a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, I, I think for you know very very large amounts, it, uh, when we get to that point, um, there's going to have to be some manual processes involved as well. Um, but for now, it's looking really good. All right, so I got a question that I think this is when I tell people about prediction markets, and I try to explain what they do, why they're useful, and what, what they could potentially be in the future. I always get this question immediately: uh, mm -hmm. How is it not gambling? Um, yeah, I mean, how do we know it's not gambling? <laughs> well, it, there has to be the rules and legality of that associated. It's just, if, if people treat it as gambling, do you have, do you have, you fall prey to being constricted by regulation? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, no matter what, we're going to be constricted by regulation. Um, I would say that laws around using prediction markets as a financial product are even more stringent than using it as a betting service. Um, I think there's different ways of phrasing it, but um, you know, mainly we're we're going to do what's legal. Um, I think the U.S. is a very very difficult jurisdiction to offer, uh, you know, sports gaming uh, or financial uh, market services. Um, but I I think there's plenty of other locations where we can you know call it what it is. Um, European Union in particular, you know, it's a 
pretty easy licensing uh, process. And, you know, we're looking into the legal technologies of doing that. Um, I'm also very interested in uh, Latin America. Um, you know, I think there's a big uh, soccer market there. And, um, you know, most of all, I'm, I'm currently looking really deep into Asia and China. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, overall, uh, prediction markets are a generalization of financial markets, betting markets, really everything. So you could do all of that with it. There's plenty of legitimate um, non-gambling applications, um, but the high-level high-level overview for this is um, we're going to do whatever's legal. Yeah. So that, I, I, and that's I guess another answer to them. Uh, I hope you can dig into is why is it short-sighted to only see it as gambling? What's the potentiality of of prediction markets? Where can they go? What's their future look like? With sure, sure. production markets enabled at at, at at everyday level. Yeah, no, definitely. So, um, let me go through a few applications that are really, really far from gambling. Um, one is something called Futarchy, which is a uh, prediction market based gover governance, and um, this is actually something that we'll be using for our, um, Gnosis DAO. Uh, so, with Futarchy, you create a set of markets uh, which ask, um, you know, if we implement this policy, or in our case, fund this proposal, what will be the eventual value of some metric? So for us, us it will be, uh, if we fund this proposal, what will the eventual value of Gnosis fund tokens be? Um, so here, uh, you actually use a prediction market to make governance decisions, um, dependent on which market eventually has a higher value. So, you know, that's one case that's really, really far from gambling. Um, in general, prediction markets are very, very good for information aggregation. So, um, you know, something like I want to estimate the probability that uh, this current event is going to happen. Um, it incentivizes actors to uh, reveal unique information that they may have about that event. Um, you know, a another sort of far-fledged direction that prediction markets can go that's very far from gambling is machine-to-machine -machine and IoT interactions. So um, imagine you are driving a, a super intelligent Tesla and the Tesla wants to know what's the fastest way to get to point A to point B. Um, you know, maybe there's even a prediction market on finding that optimal routing. And there's also sensors that are, uh, you know, freeway sensors that have traffic information that are also selling their data through their Oracle, through our Oracle market. Um, so the, these are some applications that are super far removed from gambling and, um, you know, in general, that's the uh, the non-gambling side is what I'm um, definitely most excited about. But um, it would uh, it, it's kind of impossible not to mention mention gambling in financial markets, just because they are such massive markets, um, and uh, you know, uh, profitability is important to businesses as well. Cool. And if we're talking about machine to machine, like you were talking about the IoT. Mm -hmm. uh, you guys thought about like security testing and compatibility testing because uh, making sure that the different devices communicate properly while maintaining the standards that has to be really hard since there's like what 7 billion devices out there in the world I mean how yeah, would you approach yeah. that yeah no um, you know for, for one I think standards in IoT and device data interoperability is an open and very very difficult problem um, so that's there um this machine to machine and IoT stuff is something that's so far out that I have not looked into the specifics of that, um, but it's it's definitely a, a very great question. McKee, what you got? Cool, cool. Mackie. Excuse me one moment. I'll be back in a second. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> sure. 
I've got I got to do this thing, and I'll be back in like 30, 45 seconds. No problem. I can I can fill air for that. So we got one more real, I guess, scripted question for you, uh, mm-hmm. and something we ask all of our listeners. So you're prepared if you've listened to us before. In ten words or less, can you describe Ethereum? Ooh. Oh, I'm back now. Wow. Um, I'm gonna need. Uh, did you say ten minutes or ten seconds? Ten words. Yeah, yeah, yeah you got ten. <laughs> oh. Tell us yeah, ten words. You. Sorry, I'm I'm uh, I'm, I'm channeling uh, uh, Stephen right now, so having some difficulty there. Oh gosh. Uh, oh no, I wasn't having difficulty. I was just you know, you know, what I was doing. Uh, <laughs> uh, a, a framework or a, a platform for building an algorithmic uh, world. All right, you got seven. I think that's seven, including A, which is which is a very small word. Hmm. You, you're, you're, so far you're, you're batting better than most people. Yeah, definitely. And okay, so uh, we don't need a prediction uh, market to know what Mackie was doing. <laughs> uh, I mean, I you guys are over the one right now and just saying, going to start figuring out. I told you what I was doing. Now <laughs> that you're back. I'm ready now, though. I'm ready. I've got my thing with me right now. Let's go. What type of questions do you have for this conversation? Do you, what do you want to talk about? I've got some great questions. i got some great questions. So, you know, for instance, you know, one, one of the things that I see about Gnosis is that, like, you know, it gives you the capability to take any quantifiable data point that we can think of and basically hedge our bets on what the outcome of that can be. You can literally do anything. Like, uh, I mean, as far as, like, when celebrities are going to die, when, you know, when a next world, you know, major event's going to happen, when, right. uh, you know, all, all these sorts of things that you can, like, take unique data points from, like, big data, sort of aggregate all those things together, and you can use, like, smart AI systems to eventually pose these questions to other people that could eventually make it more money. There's so many different things that you can do with the system. What is what, what is a use case for Gnosis and prediction markets that you personally think that you personally think um, you will use it for? Like, how do you think you will benefit as an individual consumer or user of your own product? Like, when you eat your own dog food, how do you see yourself doing? Gosh, that's actually something I I hadn't thought about. Um, usually, I just think of, think about it in terms of it's something I love working on, and I, I think it's something that can help bet, uh, build a better world. Um, I, I I might be interested in speculating on current events um, and also you know crypto events. However, that's not something that I you know would be comfortable putting a lot of money into. Do you, do you um, see an issue with the with the with the propensity for individuals to do like insider prediction bets? Like, say for instance, say if I was a Dow hacker. You know, and right. I go on Gnosis and I open up, you know, saying, hey, you know, do you think Ethereum will hard fork in the next three months? And I hedge my bets and I make things right and I get my money. Like, yeah. you, know, you know, that's a really interesting question because on the one hand, it, it's a problem and it opens, a, you know, an ethics can of worms because um, what if it's a new avenue for people to trade on, you know, inside financial market information? Um, but at the same time, um, it's one of the utilities of prediction markets. It actually, you know, incentivizes people to reveal their information. Um, so I, I, I think it's going to happen and I, I think it's important and I think it'll lead to more efficient markets. Um, I think in the case of, you know, the Ethereum or the, the DAO hacker, um, it would have made the community more informed. Um, they, they would have made money off that, but people could have known, you know, okay, maybe this is going to be hacked. Um, 
So it's, it's really about um, identifying and revealing information through these markets. I think something like that would also come up as somewhat of an anomaly in terms of the normal use case behavior of, of, of a prediction market. And you could see that and maybe give it the – treat it as it would be. If you find anomalies in a certain system, you're going to look at them a little more closely, which gives you a lot of information about would-be inside trading. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's an anomaly, but it's also an anomaly that creates its own subset of prediction market use cases. Um, you know, in, in general, the the role of a prediction market is to fairly incentivize people to reveal unique information that they have, and mm-hmm. that's exactly what we're talking about. So it's it's definitely not something I can ethically endorse, um, but you know, I, I think it's it's uh, uh, going to happen and and going to serve a really powerful purpose. Um, in financial markets in particular, um, you know, I, I think uh, sort of big all of a sudden reveals of information um, is part of what leads to inefficient markets. So if you have all this, all these data points about a uh, corporation being updated in real time, um, hopefully that smooths out uh, the larger financial markets and, you know, maybe the prediction markets themselves become those markets. Well, I mean, all, all this has this you know, I'm like fairly excited, uh, you know, regards to like gnosis, but you know, when are you guys, when are you guys going to go public with as far as like you guys' crowd sell and stuff? Like we've heard mumblings about it. I mean, you guys want to give us some detail about, you know, how people can get in on this? Yeah. So the, the mumblings are getting louder and, um, we're super excited about it. Um, so what we're planning for is for the crowd sale to start around September 12th. Um, that's a week before DevCon 2. And it would run for a month, so it would end, uh, you know, a week after DevCon two or so. Um, it's gonna look structurally like different, cra- like a uh, you know other previous crowd sales. Um, it'll probably be you know one ether uh, for a uh, hundred tokens uh, for the first two weeks, and then it will ramp up and then have a final week at a flat rate. Um, we are not planning to cap it. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah, it could be interesting. Um, when you fund uh, the crowd sale... Can you touch on um, that for a second? Can we... I don't know if that's the point you were about to get into, but can we talk about that for a second? As far as, like, sure. you know, pre- previously other, you know, other DAO, like, you know, token crowd sales, for instance, like Digix or those sorts of things. Like, they, you know, they set what felt like arbitrary caps on top of their stuff, you know, essentially yeah. to, I guess, to not let things go wild, which is great, you know? And then the DAO did its thing and FOMO did its thing naturally, obviously, and we ran into the what we ran into before. Do you do you feel like there's a possibility of you guys like create with no cap creating such a large financial incentive or essentially a bug bounty on top of you guys' head? Like, do you, do you fear that you know you're wanting to grasp for so much success could ultimately bite you guys back? Um, no. So I, I think those are all valid points. Certain, I like um, that. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so I, I think they're all valid points. I, I'd like to say, first of all, that I'm actually more hesitant about selling essentially so much equity because I, I think it's going to be, uh, you know, eventually worth a lot more than what we're selling it for. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, capping a crowd sale at 5 million for 80, 90 percent equity in Gnosis, I, I think I, I, I would never agree to it. I, I think it'd be a really bad move. Um, you heard so, it here. You saying they're going to have a unicorn, and you guys just better get a piece of that horn, right? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think <laughs> you know uh, the the 
the applications that Gnosis could be applied to, I, I think the, uh, let's see, it, it could be uh, a thousand times a unicorn. It could be a trillion dollar company if we actually capture uh, gambling markets and financial markets and things like that. Not not saying we'll get there, but it's possible. Um, That's brave. So, I mean, I'd like to hear that. Yeah, I, I mean, we just I, found the graphic for this episode. It's going to be a thousand times unicorn. <laughs> no, I, no I, I have a tweet somewhere that I, I came up with a name for a for a trillion dollar startup. So I'll I'll get back to you with that. But um, there's a couple other things I wanted to touch on. Um, one is that in our uh, DAO, there's going to be manual steps. Um, so it's not going to be possible for someone to find a bug and withdraw all this money. Um, it would require you know multiple signatures and steps from people with real world real world identities. Um, second of all, um, after uh, $5 million are raised, um, probably 50-50, uh, you 50% know, of the funds are going to start going to a Gnosis fund, um, which is going to have a, a bit of a different purpose than the Gnosis DAO. Um, so you know, the, the funds raised are also going to be split between uh, two entities, uh, potentially. That's interesting. You put you put a little bit of the human element back into the contract, which then allows for a lot of those safeguards that weren't there for the for the original DAO. Yeah, I think it's necessary. You know, I I totally dream of uh, well, not even decentralized autonomous organizations, just uh, autonomous organizations um, that may actually have full economic agency without human intervention. But um, you know, I, I think we need to take incremental steps, right? Baby steps, uh, especially when we're talking about lots and lots of people's money. Especially, I mean, I think just just thinking of it in terms of a raising money standpoint, you're going to want someone immediately following the debacle of the DAO. You right. want someone that's showing that they're learning from the lessons, regardless of whether or not you're capable of doing it fully decentralized autonomous organization. No one's going to buy right into it immediately after that happened. Right. Yeah, and uh, that actually brought up something. So two other things I wanted to mention. One is that um, it it's uh, very likely that some or a large portion of the funds raised by the DAO are going to be sent to a sort of a brick and mortar corporation. Um, and that's partially to help with security as well. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot harder to steal from a Swiss bank account than I guess a smart contract at this point. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up uh, is, oh, right. So it's, it's a, a DAO, but it's going to have a, a little bit more uh, central coordinate coordination, which I think is really important um, to have an agile startup. So um, with the DAO code, um, things like uh, employee salary, um, small proposals, etc., um, they're going to be made transparent and made through proposal, um, which can be submitted from uh, many of the core uh, Gnosis contributors. Um, and they're going to be set to go through by default, because um, we don't think people are going to have much of a problem with it usually. However, um, any of these proposals can be challenged by uh, token holders. Um, and what that does is it opens uh, a futarchy market, um, which asks, you know, uh, what is the value of the token going to be if we fund this? What is it if we don't fund this? Uh, essentially allowing anyone to veto um, some of our spending proposals. So that that's our kind of careful medium between um, some level of agility and, and central organization while still maintaining full decentralization. Hey, and and and, and uh, Matt, just just for the sake of uh, the listeners out there, I mean, you you, you mentioned the word futarchy a lot, and 
you know, mm-hmm. some of us in here are, are, you know, are familiar with these sorts of terms, but um, what is your definition of futarchy? Uh, market-based governance. Um, so it is governance decisions that are made um, dependent on uh, market trading values. Um, it, it's really sort of its own new category of governance. So basically using aggregated data in order to come up with the best solutions to like different questions that might be posed to either a government or like public society. So for instance, um, which, which elected official might be best here or what's the best case to do this economically in order to benefit the most people? Yeah, that, that's a, a high level overview. Yep. Excellent. Great. Okay. Just wanted, just wanted to make sure that that was cleared up. So essentially, because you hear Vitalik, um, you know, speak about that often, you know, in regards to futarchy and like the ability to be able to use, you know, aggregated large data sets to help make decisions um, for future governments. And, you know, I, I, that plays a large part into uh, the future for DAOs. Um, and I guess as far as the ethos of Ethereum goes uh, and decentralization, you know, if you're going to decentralize, you're going to want to make sure that the systems that you are building are going to be able to make the best decisions. And prediction right. markets are a core component of those systems being able to make those great decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, there's been a really large surge in a buzz around terms like Futarchy lately, you know, particularly in the Ethereum community. And I, I think it's because people understand that we need new types of governance to uh, lead these, uh, you know, distributed organizations. Um, and I, I think Futarchy is a really great um, option for that, um, you know, partially because it, it essentially crowdsources decisions and uses these markets, but also because um, it can be coded into the DAO code, um, you know, to sort of have automated decision making, of course, with these uh, human steps for security that we've talked about. I think if I were to just give a high level inter- like overview of that entire conversation is that the future looks really fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, the the future. The the, uh, the the future is sort of a, a hybrid of <laughs> yeah I think the future is sort of a hybrid of of uh, machines and humans functioning as some sort of hive mind or swarm um, and I I think um, futarchy could be like a a central planning component of uh, wait yeah, you said that. something you said something here you said you know um, you know before we sort of get close to like wrapping this up you mentioned the word hive mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is essentially a prediction market that's being built on top of um, Bitcoin. Bitcoin, yeah. Do you, do you have any Do you have any um, remarks about like that project at all in relation to like Gnosis or? Yeah, it- yeah. So um, more more in relation to Augur. Um, so you know, I I uh, I, I know Paul Storch pretty well, um, and uh, I had been talking to him uh, as we were you know starting to build uh, Augur, and he was actually um, a lot of the inspiration for the decentralized Oracle part. Um, so need to give a shout out to Hivemind, um, and I, I really like the work that he's been doing on that. Um, previously, it was called Truthcoin, um, but yeah, the the Augur, this concept of a decentralized oracle, um, it's entirely thanks to Paul. Great. See, see, Ethereum people can say nice things about Bitcoin people without getting mad. How nice was that? Oh no, let, let me also say that that Paul can be very very abrasive. And, um, <laughs> oh, never mind. He didn't say that. Never mind. Paul. No, I, I think he's. Uh, I think. I think he's absolutely brilliant. But I, I think he should cool. Uh, well, calm down with the attacks on Ethereum, um, because I, I think that ship has sailed, and Ethereum's going to really bright, bright places. Classic Paul. 
Classic. <laughs> 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 All right, man. I, well, uh, I hope he listens to this and uh, takes it as a compliment. <laughs> I hope so too. We'll get him on and he can respond. Yeah, good idea. So thanks for coming on the show. We uh, that was I. I'm really looking forward to seeing seeing developments in this space and 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 the future of what these types of things can bring to like how humans interact with machines and allow us to just be more effective in what we do, which is I think what we're what we're getting close to being able to do. Yeah, me me too. It's like uh, the the future is a, a cyberpunk novel. Um, and also you know uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Of course, man. Welcome back anytime. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thanks. And uh, yeah, we're back. Yeah, we're back. Yeah, we're back. We're back, guys. Um, that was the interview with um, Matt Liston, the original founder of Augur. Oh, shots fired. Uh, he was taking shots. Take a shot. Well, I mean, if you took millions from me, I'm taking, I'm taking shots. Yeah. Well, we don't want to get into that. They can handle that on their own time. Maybe they can hash it out and come to an agreement where if he doesn't get the millions, at least he gets free chicken wraps from Jimmy John's. Well, if he gets any kind of compensation, I, I feel like we're owed a one percent of us? a Jimmy John sandwich or the millions that he's owed. Why us? What do we do? Well, you, this was the platform he used to set the record straight. I don't think that gives us rights to any of his moolah, does it? Mm. Maybe if we helped out with ascertaining it. Let's be the middleman in that transaction. If sure. it ever happens. Probably won't. But let's not bump the bumblebee's nest. You know, you know, like drug deals on television where like two people meet in a parking garage, but there's like 11 people behind the guy doing the deal with like machine guns. We're like the eighth guy in the back. And we, what kind of machine gun do we have? Well, it doesn't, well, like if, if we get any airtime, it's just us getting shot. No one's going to know who we are. Yeah, that's true. Henchman number eight and nine. That's us. All right. So, what about what about the argument for uh, hard forking the bigger blocks? So, the theory is that two coins will be created, and then we can all choose. So, if a scenario happens like with Ethereum and Ethereum Classic, people will have a choice on what to support and continue using. So, if you want small blocks, you support the original chain, and if you want two megabytes or more, you support Bitcoin New. And if the majority want small blocks, that chain will dominate. Competition is healthy, and then we can fork out the block stream. What do you think? Um, I think aren't we repeating history? Because didn't we just vote on a hard fork earlier this year, and it didn't go through with Bitcoin Classic? And then before Bitcoin Classic, there was Bitcoin something else that Gavin and old dude were trying to instill. I mean, one hard forking the Bitcoin network is incredibly difficult. We've seen that, and it's gonna have to hard fork for all these upgrades. But we need to have consensus one way or another. So are you asking me which one do I agree with? Like which chain would I use? The small blocks or the big blocks? Yeah. Well, originally I was huge on Bitcoin Classic. Because I think why not, right? Why not have bigger blocks? And I 
gonna have to stick to my guns on that boat and say, why not have bigger blocks? I mean, yes, small blocks seem to have worked out, but we can't just keep hoping that things just work out. We've got to put things in place for future growth. And if we never think about the future, if we never think about where we want the Bitcoin network to be in the future, then how in the hell are we ever going to build it to that point? You know? Mm-hmm. It's not possible. I think the bigger blocks is the obvious solution, but not just bigger blocks. Why not bigger segregated witness blocks? Bigger and better. When we do a hard fork, it needs to be a very long-lasting hard fork. It needs to have longevity for years to come, and it needs to allow for a capacity on the network much, much larger than it is right now. Because to do the things that Bitcoin wants to do, it can't handle it. Andre said it on the show. We, I asked him straight up. Mm-hmm. I was like, hey, if there's another spur of adoption and the price goes bananas and people are hopping in, what's going to happen? He was like, the Bitcoin network can't handle that right now. There will be a crash. And it will hopefully crash down to a bigger, to a larger or higher price than it is right now, which is the mid-600s, correct? Yep. 650-ish. So, it's it's almost like, you know, I I think that's the thing with engineers and people that do massively difficult processes, is that they they just take their time, and sometimes it takes too much damn time. Sometimes you've got to execute something at some point, you know? Yeah. Perfect is the enemy of good. You're never going to do anything good if you're always trying to do something perfect. So that's where the devs are now. They're trying to create these perfect damn networks, these perfect things. And yes, you got to make it great. Just build something with security in mind that can scale, and let's get this shit moving. Because if we don't build something as a network that's better than what's already being used, Visa, uh, the banking network, which is shit, they use shit. But if it's not better and doesn't appear to be better to the layman, then no one's going to use it. So so you think you think Classic's going to be like a thorn in the foot of Ethereum until it, it does die off? Because imagine if Litecoin split in two. You're talking, we're talking Ethereum now? I thought we were talking Bitcoin. So I'm talking just about the chain, period. Because you know, Blockchains in general? Yeah, I mean, the fork could include like a, uh, you know... A, a difficulty adjustment because I know you were talking about how hard it would be uh, with the difficulty, but the smaller chain would need like a month, at least a month to work at full speed again. So yeah, I'm, I'm just talking about, you know, I think it's a good plan as long as there's a way to prevent the two chains from screwing each other up, like what's happening on Ethereum. I just think that it's a learning process because right now people are just pumping, dumping. It's funny how the longer you Bitcoin, the more you don't consider price as something that's important. But I think I'm coming back around on that, that price is, is dreadfully important to adoption. And yeah. it's so it's important in many ways. If it stays the same for a long time, it shows that it can hold value. If it goes up, that means it's a speculative tool. So more people are going to hop in and they're going to speculate. I mean, the price is important. I think that 
we don't talk enough with economists and um, what's the financial professionals enough on this show to understand how dreadfully important price is. Maybe that should be the next thing. Hey, anybody listening right now knows somebody who's uh, kind of savvy in econ and a savvy financial professional looking to go on a show and talk about really, really cool technology needs to come on our show because we have some questions that we need answered. The uh, show? Wow. Interesting follow-up. The first version of Bitcoin didn't even have a block size limit. So how that sh- how that should that work, man? I don't know. So, so she's loving it though, right now, wherever he is. Yeah. Not cashing out on all his loot. How about we keep those one megabyte blocks and instead hard fork the average confirmation time from ten minutes to one minute? Uh, I think that's something to do with security and propagation not reaching enough of the network for it to be trustable. Well, all right then. Yeah, like it, if if the confirmation times were one minute, but see, then Ethereum pulls it off somehow, and so you know, really, I just gotta dig deep into the technicals and figure out why not. But I do remember reading, I think a couple of years back, that if the propagation time for Bitcoin was too small, then the uh, transaction or the newfound blocks wouldn't get propagated to enough of the network for you know us to be reliant upon it. But I could be wrong there. I'd love to be wrong. Somebody write in, tell me I'm wrong. And then we'll have a mental spar on the interwebs. Sounds good. And then you guys can make up and watch the Best Man Holiday, the smash hit. Smash hit, Best Man Holiday. I'm going to love it. In fact, I'm going to go out right now and buy every single Kevin Hart movie that's available. <laughs> Kevin Hart's not in this one, by the way. That's a Ty Diggs special. Oh, he's not. Mm, I'm sure there's going to be like the best man three. Oh, we're, you know, we're getting super off topic. Uh, I mean, I could talk about Morris Chestnut movies all day. <laughs> oh, you can. Then why don't you? <laughs> why uh, because he's a TV star right now. He's on that, um, what's that stupid show on Fox? Rosewood? Yeah, so he's taking a break right now from movies. As he should. But he was in that classic 2002 film with Bow Wow, Like Mike. Don't forget. Oh, never forget. Like Mike. It's a fucking classic. <laughs> How would I forget Like Mike? Yeah, and he was in the, the Anaconda sequel. Don't forget that either. Hey, Patrick Burns back. He's not dead. He's back. He almost died. He almost died. Almost like Detective Marcus Williams in Kick-Ass 2, played by Ty Diggs. Why are you doing this? Are you on IMDB.com? <laughs> Alright. Exposed. Alright. All right. Let's, uh, let's uh, wrap it up. We're going to wrap this up, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Matt Liston. Um, I hope you learned a thing or two. Um, if not, write in, give us some stuff, some topics to dig into that we can present to you on uh, the next episode. But anyways, our Twitter is at the BTC podcast. What's our Twitter? At the BTC podcast. The Bitcoin podcast.com is our website. That's where you can find all of our web shit. 
on the internet. There's a news yeah. page. There's a yeah. newsletter that you can sign up for. There's an about page that features Marcello looking backwards over his shoulder at you like, oh, hey, what's up? I'm on a beach. What you doing back there? And me uh, looking like the guy from Men in Black 3 for whatever reason. Um, you need to change your bio, too. You're not an educator anymore. You are a business consultant. I'm a management consultant, so I need to change that. I'm still an educator in a lot of aspects, but not that's not my official title. Anyways, uh, Corey, who is a mad scientist, just like on Back to the Future, just like that, except for he's short and has red hair and short red hair and doesn't know anyone named Marty, but he's McFly. just like that. Um. Yeah. What else do we do? We're on iTunes. Give us five stars if you like. Uh, if you don't, listen to another episode, and I guarantee you'll find the five star rating in that one, and then give it five stars after that. But if you try to give it four star and below, um, we have the capability. We'll find you. Just like Jay and Silent Bob, we'll find you. Oh yeah. Uh, also, a great way to to uh, show us a little love, aside from five stars, is to go to our website. Click on that purse.io banner and make your Amazon purchases just like you normally do. And you can save 15% and they'll just, uh, you know, give us a little kickback. Show us a little love. Save yourself some money. Tiny, tiny bit of love. Should we, show, should we tell them about the transparency of how tiny the love is? <laughs> I just order a lot of shit. Support yeah. the show. Order a lot of shit. Show us a tiny bit of love. Um, but it helps. Every bit helps. Guys, every bit helps. We're looking to get new um, new tech for the show. I need a new headset, new sound, uh, mixer. We need things to make a better show. And so if you guys would help out, that'd be cool. Other than that, man. Um, oh, I, last piece of news. Thanks to IMDb. There is a sequel called The Best Man Wedding. Uh, it will open up uh, that trilogy which is the best trilogy since Lord of the Rings will open up later this year. Amazing. I can't wait. There's nothing I wanted to do more than watch the Best Man trilogy all at once. That's lore right there. That's deep lore. Oh boy. Well, play play the outro.
just just hit the east side of the LBC on a mission trying to find Mr. Warren G. Seen a car full of girls, ain't no need to tweak. All you skirts know what's up with 213. So I hooks a left on a 2-1 and Lewis, some brothers shooting dick, some brothers shooting dice. So I said, let's do this. <laughs> I didn't just know you could just, lyrics are hella easy to look up nowadays. No. Since this girl's pipping me, I'm a glide and swerve. These hookers looking so hard, they straight hit the curb. Won't you think better things on the horny tricks? I say my homie has some suckers all in his mix. I'm getting jacked. I'm breaking myself. I think I do that better than Warren G. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe they taking Warren's wealth. All right. We better get into the... The chorus? Yeah, yeah, hold on, wait, wait. Are we just going to run with it? Let's do it, hold on. Where, where was I? They took my rings, they took my Rolex. I looked at the brother, said, damn, what's next? They got my homie hemmed up, and they all around. Ain't none of them seen it, they're going straight pound for pound. I got to come up real quick before they start the clown. I best pull up my strap and let the busters down. They got guns to my head, I think I'm going down. I can't believe it's happening in my own town. In their part where it goes like, back up, back up, cause it's on. Anyways, if I had wings, I could fly. Let me contemplate. I glanced in the cut and I see my home in Nate. I like it. I think we should just do like a Bitcoin karaoke. Get Corey in here. <laughs> bit a bit of karaoke. Uh. <laughs> Chief Funk era funked out with a gangster twist. <laughs> All right, let's finish this up. Hold up, what about the random chords, strings, we brings? <laughs> rhythm is life, and life is rhythm. They were probably high out of their minds. <laughs> you know, like I know, you don't want to step to this. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my favorite song in the nineties for sure. Oh man, shit. I was uh, nine years old when that song came out. My favorite song is probably Brian McKnight. You know the song where he's walking in the cornfield? And he's like, one, I'm gonna get to you. Two, I'm gonna do you. Two, three. Oh, that was right. That was 1999. That you're gonna be my girl. Four. He just basically, I mean, those are the easiest lyrics to write. You just l make a list. Start listing things. Yeah, then you just go back no, to one. Yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is the name of the song. Four repeat steps, one through three. <laughs> Giving girls fucking assignments. Have you ever Have you ever had trouble in a relationship and then you just, you, you started doing the steps? I, I tried. Got, got fired from that relationship. So things things were um, things weren't going too good, and then you were like, "Girl, it's plain to see that you're the oh yeah yeah." And uh, and she was like, you, you, "You're not gonna Brian McKnight your way out. This relationship is terminated. Brian McKnighting only works for Brian McKnight." Yeah, yeah, you're maybe. You're, oh yeah, best man's wedding, man. We're sponsored by them. 
Yeah. All right, we probably get, this is going at the end of the show, by the way. Got to get some people bonus features. Have you seen Best Man Holiday? No, I saw the original one. Uh, the Best Man? Yeah. 